Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. In this episode, I'm connecting with a friend who's a parenting expert. And now, if she listens back to this, you may cringe at the thought of being a parenting expert because it might trigger her own imposter syndrome or needs to be perfect. We all have this inner critical voice that tells us that it's not quite good enough at times, despite making our best efforts. And this really shows up in our parenting. So if you had issues with feeling like you're not good enough, thinking that you're not good enough before you became a parent, this will also really play up once you sit there with your child. And in this episode, my guest Catherine Hallisey talks a lot about how we can embrace our children as they are, rather than putting a pressure on ourselves to almost like be accountable for our children's success. It's not just about what you do or don't do. So much of this journey of parenting is also to do with your child's individual temperament, their personality, who they are. Even if you're not a parent, I really encourage you to listen to this episode anyway, because there are a lot of messages there around embracing ourselves as the imperfect, messy, human versions of ourselves even if you've yet to become a parent or a parenthood is not on the cards for you. There's so many things about how we have been parented ourselves that feeds into how we see ourselves today as adults. In this episode, we also cover the importance of rupture and repair, of how we can repair mistakes we make and how we can find forgiveness for ourselves as well as for our children and finding compassion with the difficulties we've faced in life. That you don't have to be perfect as a parent. That's actually not really helpful at all. And it's more important to think of self-care and self-compassion as a way to top yourself up, to fill yourself up, and to reclaim parenthood in a way that works for you, without depleting you in the process. So in this episode, I talked to Catherine Hallisey, who's a chartered psychologist, parenting coach, and mother of five young kids. She's the founder of Reclaim Parenthood, an online parenting membership. She helps parents use the power of relationship and connection to address parenting challenges, create more peace and harmony at home, and help children become more confident and resilient. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Catherine. It's such an honor to have you here after we've had some rich conversations already in your membership. And we started the podcast recording being very on brand with embracing imperfections because we had this very funny squeaky meowing noise on your side as we tried to get the sound to work. So I feel like I'm starting in a giddy mood. So hopefully we'll we'll slow down the pace a little bit. Um, but if you hear anything, you dear listeners um, of us kind of joking around at least a little bit that because Catherine and I are friends outside of podcast recordings as well. So, so nice to have you here and tell listeners a little bit about yourself, Catherine. It's so lovely to be here. 
And I like to start off by saying I am, first of all, I'm a mom, I'm a friend, a daughter, a, just a person in my own right. I have five children. I'm a psychologist. And I see my mission in life is to help parents embrace perfection and strive towards connection. Lovely. That's again, that we're very much on the same page there. You know, I did a recent masterclass for couples, which are called Connection, Not Perfection. So, and as so many of these skills that I teach and so many skills that you teach are completely interchangeable um, of how we can be kinder to ourselves and be kinder to others and, and not have so much pressure on ourselves. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, tapping into some of your wisdom around how we embrace imperfection in parenting. Wonderful. Let's just go st straight into it. Uh, I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but we'll see where that takes us. We've also been less prepared than I normally am for this. So I just feel like we're very on brand today. Like <laughs> yes. everything is just rough and ready imperfections and you just showed me a fantastic picture of how you did a, a radio interview whilst you were in the hair salon with like hair foils everywhere so i think <laughs> we're really on brand today so let's just see how it goes sometimes really beautiful things come from uh when we're embracing imperfection and we get more vulnerability and connection so let's just see what you think are some of the common struggles you see in your community of parents you know what what, what are they struggling with and why I think the biggest struggle I see is that so many of us have been moving through our lives and achieving the goals that we set for ourselves, whether they're career goals or, you know, house goals or whatever your goals are. And then suddenly you have a child. And I think it's so much of having a child is actually realizing that our goal isn't to shape our children into um, the way they should be when actually our goal is just to hold them in our hands and to allow them to unfold into who they were meant to be all along. And to be able to do that, we really truly have to let go of the striving for perfection and the striving to achieve goals. So I think we are coming from a place of moving through achievement to suddenly having to totally and utterly embrace imperfection and embrace what comes. And what would that look like concretely? I mean, how could that show up for parents when they're, you know, it's a sign that they're struggling to let go of that and the sign that they're striving for perfection? Something I see a lot. So one of the biggest um, clinical issues I work with in my clinic is around anxiety and that it's so challenging for parents to not be able to help their children through the anxiety. Or it could be behavior issues and they might feel that they should be able to help their children behave appropriately. So why do all the other kids behave perfectly and mine don't? Why are all the other kids able to go to school? Why are they all able to do their homework perfectly and mine can't? And this sense of what is it that I'm doing wrong? What is it within me that means my children aren't achieving this outward perfection? So I think we've got this struggle, this constant struggle between wanting to love and accept our children totally as they are and then blaming ourselves when they are not achieving what we feel is this measure of us as parents. So I think there's just this complexity there. And um, I think that I see my role as helping parents just pause and reflect on where are these feelings coming from? because all of these feelings take us out of the present moment with our kids. And it's only when we're present with our children that we can actually really help them. 
and allow them to unfold in that way. So it's a lot of self-reflection that has to happen in a moment where we can be really triggered by what's going on. And I think there's a power there, like you're talking about the pause, the standing back, gaining perspective. And sometimes it's just comparing notes with other parents. That's obviously the power of your community that you're building with, with parents talking to other parents in a vulnerable way. Yeah. I guess I'm mean, just reflecting back to when I first started becoming aware of this, the discrepancy between what the nursery staff in the childcare setting was telling me about my child and then what I saw at home. And it's, it's so easy to get hooked by that failure story, isn't it? Like, oh, he's following instructions or he's listening well or all these things. And then you see a, a child that is obviously falling into what we sometimes call restraint collapse. Yes. Uh, when they come home, you get the raw version, the, the child that shows all the emotions but at nursery staff get to see the, the child who follows the rules. And I wonder if you can just touch upon how does that feed into the parenting kind of pressure when parents don't know that this is a thing? I must say, I found that incredibly helpful to find out about that because I remember when my first child was going to crash and when she would come home and that it was so hard. And I always felt that my clients got the best of me in work and my family got what was left over. But then I saw that the crash actually got the best of my daughter as well. And we were two people who were struggling at the end of the day. And it was only when I, I suppose, chatted to other parents and connected with other parents to see, actually, this is totally normal. It's really, really normal to feel like this. And also then it's what to do about it. So. Um, what really helped me and what I work with other parents on is actually saying, OK, what are the nice things we can do? How can we make these hard times more pleasant for us? What do I need to do so that I can pause and reflect so I'm not reacting in this triggered way when I'm seeing something in my child that's making me question myself as a parent? I really believe we were never meant to do this alone. You know, we're supposed to have a village around us. We're supposed to have other parents who are going through the same things as us and other parents who've already gone through this and come out the other side and that we can rely on their wisdom. And instead, we have, I think so many of us are parenting in isolation and we're having these parallel experiences and we don't even know it because we're comparing our insights to somebody else's outsides. Yeah, and that's what we see then on the social media highlights that, you know, the the real of someone's life, which is not measuring up against what we what we have on the inside. Our own inner failures feels like it's a mile away from other people's external achievements. Very much so. And, you know, social media has brought so much joy to my life and I think so much joy to so many people's lives. But we need to continue to have real conversations about that this is just the highlights reel that there is zero point in comparing your messy every day to somebody else's curated feed. Mm, that's really powerful. So that's another insight to, to remember that on one side, your child is going to react differently with you compared to a, a childcare or school setting. They will release their emotions at the end of a long day, much like we do when we're kind of a bit annoyed with our partner or you know, a bit, a bit grumpy with our kids that actually our children do the same. So that's powerful to have that realization that actually it's not just me. It's not my fault. This is normal. And what we then do to pause, to reflect on that, to not get so hooked by it. And then secondly, knowing that actually when I then look at all those moments where I quote unquote feel like I failed, actually knowing that what goes on in other people's households is very similar, but we don't talk about it. Why don't we talk about it? I know. And I guess it's because 
we, even though we know we shouldn't be striving for perfection, we are still holding ourselves to those standards. And then to actually allow yourself to be vulnerable, to share what's really going on in your lives, like how many of us have those people within our lives? And if we do, there, there's a small number of them. And I think that one of our tasks actually in adulthood is to get okay with vulnerability and to also know who are the people we can be vulnerable with. Yeah, that's really, really important as well, because if we're vulnerable with the wrong person, what will happen if we share our so-called parenting failures or the things we feel are shortcomings with the wrong person? What can happen? Oh, my goodness. You know, well, first of all, even if you share, sometimes you can regret it afterwards. You have this regret of this intimacy and not knowing you've given somebody a treasure, which is your vulnerability and not knowing what they're going to do with that treasure. And this really comes back to that we're not meant to do this alone. You know, we're meant to be in this village. Something that I often reflect on as well about this, this restraint collapse is when I was in my early 20s, I was in a car accident and I wasn't seriously hurt, but I was in hospital and I was holding it together and everything was fine. And the next thing I'll never forget, I was lying on a trolley and I remember seeing my mum coming towards me in the hall. And I just started crying so much because I saw my mum, my safe place. My attachment was activated because I was going through something stressful, a big life event. And I often reflect on that, that this is how our children are with us as well. They're holding it together and suddenly they see us, our safe place, the safe haven, and they know that they can actually unfold and unpack what they have been building up right throughout the day. Yeah, because that makes so much sense that they obviously, when they feel safe, they can show those vulnerable emotions and all the all the attachment, all the bond we have there means that I trust you to make space for my feelings. I will show you exactly how upset I am, be it in our 20s or, or you know, in the terrible twos or terrific twos, however yes. you want to call them. So when there's a lot of emotions happening for us, we want to show them to someone who will be respectful with them, who will be safe around them. So for the listeners, we've shared uh, quite a few um interviews before about attachment. So it's worthwhile going back to those interviews with other experts around attachment style and how that's important because how you were treated as a child by your caregiver also has an impact on how you are as a parent yourself. So what do you see about that in, in your community? Do you know do parents kind of reflect on that and make the links between the past and the present? I think that it isn't spoken about enough really. You know, we think that we are parenting as we are and that this is past, the past is in the past and this is now and I'm responding in this way because my child is reacting or acting in this way. When actually the more we can think about, you know, that I am operating through all of my past experiences and that I really need to make sense of them. And often I find that parents come to me for one to one work or they come into my membership thinking that it's about helping their children. And as we go through the time together and they begin to see the changes and without question, everybody comes back to me and says it was actually the work I did on myself. It was all the things I did to take care of myself. It was all the space that I made for reflection. That was the thing that made the difference. So we have this wonderful interplay between how we are as parents, how we've made sense of ourselves, our current selves, our past selves, our childhood. And it's when we do that work, we can then allow our children to actually unfold rather than feeling we need to shape them. 
And what happens when we do? What happens when we can embrace imperfections, you know, have reflections of ourselves, do that in the work? What happens as a benefit to our children? I don't see that this is an end product. I think it's an ongoing journey to embrace our imperfections. It's something that I still work on every single day. But what I see is when I am able to embrace the imperfect and when I'm able to bring a lightness to that, I see my children bringing a lightness to it as well. And I see this play out in my clinic all day, every day, that the more parents are able to accept themselves and when when they may have these goals, when they're working with me and they're learning this new way, way of parenting and they may say, oh, Catherine told me this, I shouldn't do that. I should do this. And I say, can we pause for a second and even reflect on our language? You know, we need to stop shooting all over ourselves. And even just taking these little bit, that little bit of humor to how we approach this. And then when we mess up and it's inevitable that we mess us up as parents, and just seeing that what's important is the repair. It's not the rupture. Of course, we would all love to not have any ruptures. I would love to not make mistakes. However, that's not possible. So when we can start from this place of I know I'm going to make mistakes and I also know I'm going to do everything I can to make it right afterwards to repair through connection and through the more that I embrace my imperfections, the more I'm giving my, my children permission to embrace their imperfections too. Because children do what we do and not just what we well, say. We should never worry that um, children are uh, listening. We should worry that they are always watching. So yeah, everything yeah. we do. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes, everything we do is likely to be reflected back to us in one way or another. So if we can, you know, whether that's, you know, you are going through a really tough morning at home and there's lots of chaos and you know, okay, we are all going to get stressed at that. But if we have in our heads, okay, when I get stressed and when everything is going wrong around me, what I need to do is just pause for a moment, take a few deep breaths and try and see a little bit of humor in what's going on. And the more we can bring that lightness, that's what our children will then do. And in a practical sense, what you'll see then is children who are more likely to be able to cope with making mistakes in school or making mistakes in their friendships or as time goes on in their romantic relationships. And rather than getting so overly focused and stressed out on the mistake that they think, OK, what I need to do now is I need to think about how can I make this right? How can I make a repair? Mm. And I think that's really powerful to reiterate again for anyone who listened to what you just said about those stressful mornings and, and the pause that we're not aiming for that to be perfectly done so that you're kind of w walking through your mornings like go down a cloud that actually we are going to mess that up too. We are going to lose our heads. We are going to get too stressy. So again, if you to kind of reiterate that around the repair, what could that look like if you realized that you got too stressy, you didn't pause, you'd reacted rather than, um, you know, reflected on your actions. What would you say to those parents who listened and thought, shit, that's me, I'm doing this all wrong and I should be doing what Catherine is saying about pausing, etc." So we don't make that another pressure to be yes. perfect. What would you say about that? I think the first thing is to say it just means you're a human. And I see these moments, I choose to see them as an opportunity. I choose to see them that how I handle this is giving my child a model of how to handle their own mistakes. So when I mess up with my kids, I always try and say, look, I'm really sorry I lost my cool. I think I probably should have paused. I think I probably should have taken a breath and I may actually be able to see the funny side then. And I will be watching their body language as well, see how they're receiving this. And my goal in that moment isn't to make myself feel better. 
It's literally just to repair the relationship. And something I always warn people to watch out for is beware the apology or the repair with the sting in the tail. You know, I'm really sorry I lost my cool. It was because you left your stuff everywhere. You know, when we try and use it as a as a corrective mm. moment rather than repair. So I I really like to think of just say to yourself, whenever there's a rupture, make the repair. And the, the repair is only about connection, not teaching, not correction. Hmm. And also owning that discomfort that actually doing that is hard. It's really hard, especially if you've grown up in a household where that was not modeled to you, where you maybe have received a lot of criticism even rather than correction and, and being told to follow the rules and that where the, that shooting all over the place has begun. It can be really difficult to then turn to the next generation to say, look, I, I got it wrong. You know, I, I, I spoke to you in a way that I shouldn't or I raised my voice too much or I got too angry and it's because I felt X, Y and Z. And that can be really difficult to do, to kind of do that repair. I guess what I'm hearing you say is that we have to tolerate that that's going to feel a bit uncomfortable. It's not about making myself feel better in that moment. I'm not apologizing to make my guilt go away. I'm apologizing to get closer again. Very much so. And, you know, I think we all have the temptation to just want to move on when we've messed up this. Oh, ooh, let's, let's just move on. It'll be OK. We, maybe we'll do a family movie or something and everything will be OK again. And in that way, you know, we paper over the cracks and look, that has a time and a place. But what we really want to have is this unpacking of emotion. And what you might find is when you make that repair with your child, they may not be ready to hear it in that moment. And that's OK, too. I've had that mm. experience where I've wanted to make a repair with my children and they weren't ready to hear it. And that's really uncomfortable. And that's that can be really mm -hmm. triggering. It's like, well, if you don't want to hear my, you know, and then you can like have the risk of going off again. And it's um, you're right. You know, it's really tuning into that discomfort and actually being able to sit with the uncomfortable feelings and just knowing that it's OK. And I, I say to myself, actually, it's OK. It's going to be OK. I soothe myself through those difficult moments. Mm. Because there's an element of rejection there, isn't it? If we then think I've come to my senses, I've calmed down, I've realized I want to be the adult here, I want to lead by example. Again, not perfectly so, but just, oh, oh dear, that this didn't go so well. I want to repair. And then you get rejected yes. because they're still in it. They've not moved on yet. And you might have moved on. And I find it's almost more often than not, it's, it's the polar opposite in our household. My son moves on very quickly and I'm still <laughs> stuck. Um, so I have to work on that. But um, I think what, what, how can we how can we reassure ourselves about that rejection and the greater scheme of things of our attachment with our child? I think if we can have our goal in our heads, our long term goal, I, I think, you know, begin with the end in mind. What kind of relationship do you want to have with your child when they're an adult? So, you know, for me, I want my children to always be able to turn to me if they've done something wrong. And to know that even if I don't, if I'm not happy with their action, that I will always be with them. And I'm thinking especially of the teenagers, young adulthood. And that doesn't happen by accident. That happens by design. It happens by how you model treating other people's mistakes and how you model treating your own mistakes. So um, even things, very simple things like, you know, how you criticize public figures you know, actually extending grace and compassion to public figures, because that then is also what your children will learn. And the more your children see you extending grace to them, the more likely they are to extend grace to you. And when you take that long term perspective, it's much, much easier, I find, to cope in those moments 
you know, and I I had a moment recently where I apologized to my eight year old and he wasn't ready to hear it. And so I'm really speaking from experience in this. And it was really, really hard for me. And I, I had to walk away so that I could regulate myself. You know, I had to walk away and just cool down because, um, you know, when simply walking away can take the heat out of it and you can start thinking more reasonably again. Mm. And that's just normal and human again. Unfortunately, we wish it wasn't like that, but we are triggered yes. by things. And I kind of reflect on that in my work with couples that nobody gets under our skin like our partners and our children because they are in our inner sphere. They are in our safe place. They, are, they know us better than anyone else. And they get to see and witness these things that are in our private life. So it's vulnerability there. So no wonder then that we get more het up. You know, I hear of couples and I hear parents who say, well, I don't get this frustrated by other kids. Why am I so triggered by my own? Well, again, you don't have the same relationship with someone else's child. So there's a lot to there that's just more at stake if that relationship mm. would break. So that's, I guess, sort of thinking about no wonder I then get so upset and, and triggered by this. And you alluded to the idea of, of compassion for others. What about thinking about self-care and self-compassion? How does that uh, impact parents? I really see self-care and self-compassion as the foundation to good parenting. I wish when I started out in parenting, I had realized how essential this was. When I think back to those early baby days, and um, especially as I had more children, it was so much harder to make that time for self-care. Um, or maybe I just didn't prioritize it. Whereas now I see that this is actually the bedrock from which good parenting can stand. So to be able to sit with uncomfortable feelings, to be able to respond rather than react emotionally when our children are doing things like that really comes from, are you minding yourself? The really basic things. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? Are you drinking too much coffee? Are you connecting? Are you just mom or just dad? Or do you have, are you feeding those other aspects of yourself? And then even more crucial is that self-compassion. How do you treat yourself? How do you view yourself? What are those words you say to yourself throughout the day? And really reflecting on I think about how I, the words I say to my children and that I would never speak to them the way that I sometimes speak to myself and recognizing that the compassion I bring to my parenting, that's really what I want to bring to myself as well. Mm -hmm. So powerful. And I think about the, the tone of voice that we would use with uh, our children when they're fallen over or when they're struggling with a, a test in school and the kindness and compassion we would often show through our caregiving to those we love the most. And then being able to turn that inwards is really powerful. It's a very healing, forgiving place to be. Because I guess the interesting thing there of the research around what makes us more likely to correct our mistakes and grow and learn from them isn't when we're self-flagellating, when we're beating ourselves up, but it's when we are turning towards those mistakes with compassion and kindness and that we can correct and learn from it. So if people are listening and there are things that they feel that they want to tweak in their parenting, that they want to grow. I guess really picking up on what you said there about turning towards caring for themselves too, and that will ripple out as a benefit to their children. But it's a worthy course in itself, you said. What did you mean by that? You mean around the self-care? 
Yeah, that we're not just doing that so we can be oh, better yes. parents. Why is that? Why is self care and self compassion for ourselves as parents a worthy course in itself, rather than just I'm doing it for the sake of my kids? You know, I think sometimes we we can motivate ourselves to mind ourselves because we say, "Oh, I'll be a better parent if I do this," and it it can be the way in, and that's that's how I often introduce it to people. But actually, we are human beings in our own right. We deserve to feel good. We deserve to take care of ourselves. We deserve to mind ourselves. You know, this is our one shot at life. And how much more wonderful it is if we can actually prioritize our own enjoyment as well as being good parents. So what I try to do is I try to sprinkle self-care right throughout my day. So and I'm really I try to be really intentional about this. And inside my membership, we have a whole day self-care Sunday devoted to really um, topping up your self-care, but also what are the small everyday actions you can do? So it's, it's not about the massage. The massage is wonderful, but it's about what are the small everyday things you can do? How can you bring more joy into those moments? So, for example, I love having my oat milk latte and I will sit down and I'll think about how much I love this, how I love the taste of it, how I love taking the time for myself to drink this out of my favorite cup. And, you know, I really start to amplify the things that I like about it. And for me, that's really powerful self-care because I'm taking ordinary moments and bringing an element of the extraordinary to them. Mm, and really savoring, almost like tasting that moment, not just tasting the latte, but tasting the moment, the experience. And it's interesting, and obviously the research is on your side on that one, that actually mindfully savoring the moment tends to make the experience stronger and it tends to make it last longer. Exactly. So there's a lot of benefits from that. And, and what we actually do is we amplify negative moments. We amplify mm. the hard moments because that's the way our brains are hardwired to do this to ensure our survival. So this is just flipping that. So it's taking this negativity bias and trying to counteract that with topping yourself up with lots of lovely moments throughout the day. So in my office here, I'm looking at my beautiful orchid and every day I look at it and I think about how beautiful it is. And I look at the colors and the shapes and I think about how pleasing it is. Just tiny moments rather than perseverating or ruminating on the things that I've done wrong that day. And making those tiny moments actually um, you know, making them very manageable, small things. You know, my friend Susie Redding, who's like the queen of self-care, talks about the micro moments. That actually, they are more manageable. They're more likely to happen. And for us, for us old parents, we don't have hours and hours of relaxation on the weekend, you know, to recover from a stressful work week. We might have, you know, little odd, odd pockets of pausing, odd pockets of pleasure. And that's where it's really important to find those small things. Like you gave the example of watching the orchid having the oat latte. So for anyone listening, I just want you to encourage to take a moment after you finish listening to this to write down like two, three things that you take pleasure from that is this small, like Catherine gave you examples of. This can be really powerful. So moving you on now to, to a completely different topic that we just laughed a little bit about beforehand about this term um, that's been floating around yes. social media a little bit. And I know you were asked about this on the radio. What is a revenge bedtime procrastination? So I had to laugh so much at the name. I don't know where the revenge came in. I think it's to make it sexy. But the, the bedtime procrastination or sleep procrastination is, I suppose, the term is new, but it's something that so many of us are intimately familiar with. It's like when the day is done, when all the jobs are done, the kids are in bed and suddenly it's time for you. 
And rather than going to bed and doing something that's actually going to restore your brain and body, you end up staying up. It could be doom scrolling. It could be watching show after show on Netflix. It could be just lying on the sofa saying, oh, I really need to get up and go to bed, but still staying there. And it's when your behavior doesn't match your intention. So in the morning, you might say, I'm going to go to bed early. I'm going to be really revived with this sleep. And then your behavior that night doesn't match that intention. And um, this is something that I really noticed when my twins were born. So they were children number four and five. And I used to find that even though I needed so much sleep because I was being woken all night long feeding them, I still wanted to stay up late because this was time for me. This was time for Catherine, the adult by herself with no one needing her. And even though I knew it wasn't the best stress management practice, it was really important to me to have that time by myself, eating chocolate and watching TV. Hmm. So what's so a really difficult balancing act then of how we then move between the self-caring act of getting enough sleep to top us up for the next day versus, I guess, weaving in a bit of purpose or meaning, doing things that are kind of almost like feeding the other parts of our identity that isn't about motherhood or parenthood. How do we figure out that balance then? Do people go to, should people go to bed early? And I just said, should they? Should people go to bed early or should they stay up or should they pick differently day to day? What's the answer? I think first of all, thinking, reflecting on what's your, what's called your chronotype. Are you a morning person or an evening person? So for some people, they come into their own in the evening and they need to stay up. They need to have that time. So there is no prescription on this. What I will say though, is that most of us are chronically sleep deprived. It goes hand in hand with parenting, but it also goes hand in hand with our modern life of, you know, more, more, more. So the vast majority of us will benefit more from going to bed earlier. But the other part of me recognizes that this is a season in our lives when our children are young, that this intense physical type of parenting, this intense period of being needed so much, it's only a season. So part of me thinks, you know, you do what you have to, to get through this. However, what happens is we know that the more we engage in a habit, the more sticky it becomes. So staying up late, it becomes a very sticky habit for so many of us. And when that behavior isn't matching our intention and the vast majority of us feel an awful lot better when we go to bed earlier. And all of our parenting struggles seem so much easier when we've had a couple of good nights sleep. Hmm. So something there about balancing that actually it's okay to occasionally want to sit up and watch your favorite program or, you know, do things that you don't have the capacity to do when you have the children around, but also really knowing that I'm choosing to go to bed now. It's not a punishment. It's not, you know, I'm suffering as a restriction of my my parenting journey at this point it's more like actually I'm choosing to do that to give myself better well-being tomorrow and this is not going to last forever I mean I, I still remember strongly how you know my son would wake up half an hour after he would be finally asleep you know after hours of doing the bedtime then he would sleep half an hour and so by eight o'clock we're like okay well that's you have to go back up again there was no chance and no opportunity to even sit down to watch tv with my husband but it didn't last forever. It felt like it lasted forever when you're in it. But the remembering this is a season uh, can help us make some wise choices in the middle of that season to get through it better. And I think you've given us the permission there to 
to try to choose wisely rather than being prescriptive. So much of parenting is so prescriptive. Again, more shoulds. And, you know, I like to think of it as um, rather than I need to stop doom scrolling or I need to stop watching TV, I like to shift the focus on how can I make going to bed feel really amazing? Is mm-hmm. it that I really splash out, you know, so for my birthday, I will usually buy myself something like sheets or I'll buy myself to make my bedroom feel more inviting. And I'll use nice room sprays and essential oils and try to make my room and my bed feel really luxurious. So rather than focusing on what I shouldn't do, I think, how can I make this feel nicer? Hmm. How do you make a good choice more alluring? Exactly. So thinking, you know, even going back to the science of habits, it's how can you make the habit that you want to have? How can you make it easy, more motivating, more rewarding, more inviting? Mm, that's a really positive way to spin it around as well as when we're all sitting there being stuck. Um, I've discussed it with many of my female friends of how the hurdle of removing your makeup <laughs> yes. feel so difficult. So I've just kind of like, actually, let's see if I can remove my makeup, get myself ready for bed before I do something like watch a film on the sofa so that there's less of an obstacle to overcome and then I can go straight up to the bed. Uh, so it's just knowing yourself with a bit of wisdom there and making that choice more alluring. and. I once was approached by a lady in the street this years ago when I walked around with my new baby in the buggy mm-hmm. who asked about the, uh, you know, his birthday and whatever. And she said, this lady might have been 75 or something. She said, you know what? Every year for my children's lives, for their birthdays, I gave myself a present because it was their birthday. So I gave myself a present because I gave birth to them on that day. And it just made me think of it when you're talking about ways to make your bedroom more inviting and, and rewarding, that these are little things we could do for ourselves. Can you think of anything that's helpful there for parents to give us a gift to themselves for all the hard work that we do, including birthing these children? Can you think of anything that we can give them as a, as a little parting gift, as a tangible takeaway, as a little present that can be you know a permission to give them or uh, a pressure take up to take off them what would be your gift to the parents listening i think the most important thing for all of us to hear embrace and feel it right down into our bones is that what our children need most from us it's simply us perfectly imperfect us and the more we can sit with that and let it flow over you and through you and to recognize that there is no other mother for your child who can mother like you. There is no other father for your child who can father like you. You are the most important person. And I remind myself of that all the time because it's so powerful and so transformative. And all of the stuff, the busyness, it's just noise. Whereas if we can sit with that connection, so that's the first thing. That's the, that kind of mindset. And then the second thing, this is an activity that I do with all parents. Get out a piece of paper, divide it in three, write down five second self-care, five minutes self-care and one hour self-care and brainstorm lots of things that you can do throughout your day and stick it on your fridge or somewhere you'll see it. And right throughout your day, start sprinkling these moments, because the more you bring that into your day, the more you're going to be able to embrace your perfectly imperfect self and bring that to your perfectly imperfect children and live this perfectly imperfect life together, focused on connection, not perfection. I love that. That's so beautiful. 
And before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a few more questions that I ask all the guests around sort of pausing and finding purpose and being playful because you shared some little sprinkles already, you know, how you try to pause. And again, the listeners might be in awe of you doing these things with the five children that you have. <laughs> so I guess what kind of what kind of imperfections have had you have you had to embrace in yourself as you know as a parent of five children? Oh my goodness, so many. Um, something I've found very interesting actually is to reflect on what are the emotions in my children that I'm more comfortable being around. So I can find it easier to be around anger than I can be to be around sadness. And even reflecting on why is that? I'm a psychologist. I'm supposed to be able to totally be with these things and you know that it can be easier to be around physical hurt than emotional hurt so that's this imperfection within myself that i have grown to accept reluctantly but it's been really powerful so rather than actually feeling frustrated with my child i can recognize okay i need to do something for myself here so that i can actually be with this big feeling that my child is having rather than thinking i need to deal with it you know, so something that's so powerful for me is just taking a few deep breaths and reminding myself I have lots of mantras. This is not an emergency. This is OK. It's going to be OK. So that's just one one little example of um, of uh, an imperfection. Uh, there are so many, you know, the um, not always not always feeling present. You know, my, my big goal, I really, really want to be present. It's the whole focus in my membership. And yet there are many times where I am physically present, but not emotionally present. And all I can do in those moments when I notice it is just give myself a little bit of grace and soothing and come back to the moment. Mm. And that's uh, again, that's really powerful on the concept of forgiveness for ourselves and our own shortcomings. But having that awareness that this is this is coming on the horizon. I can see anger coming or I can see sadness coming and knowing which one will trigger you more. For me, it's the polar opposite. I find myself very drawn to soothing sadness, but I find myself very triggered and provoked by anger in my child. So again, we're very different in our own, our own parenting experiences when we were growing up has an impact on that as well. So it's really powerful to, to think, actually, through no fault of my own, this just shows up for me and that's difficult. And what, what I might need in that moment that you're describing is I need to soothe myself and taking some breaths here in this moment because this is going to be harder than the other ones. Like, aha, here's a challenge coming up rather than battling against why am I finding this so difficult? And, you know, I'm not pretending that this stuff is easy. You know, this is an ongoing journey for all of us. So if you're listening to this and thinking, oh, my goodness, I, I couldn't do that. This is just day by day by day. And this is why we need our village. And this is why we need podcasts like this things that help top us up and help us parent with intention, you know, parenting on purpose rather than by accident so that we can bring this uh, responding to rather than reacting to. And it just, and it's not that it's hard work, it's just ongoing work. So it is very much an ongoing journey that isn't easy for people by any means. You mentioned pausing through taking a few breaths to kind of get a bit of perspective there to calm down. Is there anything else you do to pause? So in the moment, I use a lot of mantras. I find them really powerful and I share those with parents I work with because what happens is we're trying to override our default that was laid down in our own childhood. And mantras are incredibly powerful because they then become your default thinking pattern. So if one of the mantras is, you know, connection, not perfection. 
or this is hard and I can do hard things. Or, you know, my favorite one, connect, connect, connect. When you're not sure what to do, connect some more. And the same with listen, listen, listen. So, you know, allowing yourself to not feel like you have to have all the answers. You know, you don't have to fix whatever is going on in your child's life. It's, um, you know, being with versus dealing with. Mm. So if that's your, if connection is your true north, and if that is sprinkling through all of your interactions with your children, but all of your interactions also with yourself, if you're connecting in with yourself, it's so powerful and it can help you through the, the hardness of parenting. You know, life is hard and parenting is really hard and it's also really beautiful. And when you focus on connection, it really feels much more beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I guess that connects again with your purpose, that if connection is your true north, that is part of your value system, part of where you're, where the direction that your compass is pointing in. And that's at the end of the day, have I connected with my child today? Not perfectly, not being, you know, a social media highlight of myself, but imperfectly, have I done something to build on our relationship, to get a get to that end point you mentioned of having a relationship where they can come to me, where they can trust me, where they can see me as someone who owns their own mistakes and parents in that kind of modeling way. So it's really powerful. Lastly, which is my favorite point, and this is where I tend to catch people out a bit where they're like, oh, I haven't thought of that. How do you play, Catherine? How do you find fun and joy and letting loose um, both as a person and, and as a parent? Um, well, I strive to laugh like a child throughout my day. Um, I take as many moments as possible just to be silly. Um, I could walk into the kitchen, there's music playing and I will grab a hairbrush and maybe my child thinks I'm coming to do their hair and take out the knots and I just start singing into my hairbrush microphone or start doing silly dances. And it just it helps me melt away my stress, but it also brings that element of fun into my relationship with my children. So I just love doing things like that, just bringing fun in or, you know, recently I was standing on my kitchen table with my four daughters as we were all belting out Adele at the tops of our voices with our hairbrush microphones, of course. Of course. And of course, what else? And but um, very, very importantly as well, I have um, some wonderful women in my life that I love to spend time with and just laugh with. And Nothing beats a good laughing fit. And then with my husband, um, I just find it so important to have that time to connect to be people and not just co-parents. Yeah. To re really focus on how can we bring a little bit of lightness into our lives? So how can we bring some spontaneity? Because obviously routine and planning is so important as parents but sponta spontaneity within that relationship and that playfulness, that lightness, I think is so restorative for me as a person. Uh, you know, it's it's really important. So there were just so many things. It's it's not specific things, more a playful way of being. So it's an That's attitude. How I bring it. Yeah, it's an attitude yeah. and an atmosphere, no doubt, that you create in your home as well. When you bring that spirit into it of playfulness, of silliness, it sounds like it's rather than a rather than a planned thing. Here's an activity I do. It's more of a uh, spontaneity in the moment like ah oh, here's an opportunity to be a bit light-hearted and playful and not take yourself so seriously so that there that yeah. tops you up for the moments where you no doubt have to be very serious in our jobs as psychologists but also in our jobs yes. as parents we sometimes have to do very hard things and very serious things so thank you for showing us the hope 
avert what is possible, how we can continue to take that pressure off ourselves, to give ourselves the permission to find pausing, to give rest and restoration as parents, but also find a way to parent that suits us with the values that we have. So it's been really, really lovely to have you on the podcast. And I think we have been very on brand with the slightly imperfect sounds and laughing our way through it. But, you know, we got there in the end. So thank you so much for coming on to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much, Michaela. It's been wonderful to be here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode about imperfect parenting. As you might have noticed by now, there's a lot of talk about perfect and imperfect and good enough and inner critical voice and compassion. And that is because I'm really passionate about compassion. And if you need a little bit of help with that, my online course to Compassionate Couple is a really, really helpful tool for you and your partner. If you are on this parenting journey with someone who's also maybe hard on themselves, also maybe puts pressure on themselves to be perfect or feeling guilty or feeling ashamed of themselves when they think they've fallen short. If that's your partner or if that is you, the compassionate couple would be a really helpful course for you to soften that inner critical voice, to decide what really matters to you as parents, what values you hold and how you can communicate better about the parenting journey in ahead of you. If you want to read more about the compassionate couple, you can go to the website and find information about the course. So that's the thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash the compassionate couple. And if you need a little bit more incentive, maybe your partner isn't quite there yet where they're ready to commit to a course, download the freebie, thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash relationship balance and work your way through the workbook. Finding a little bit more balance in your relationship can also help you balance your parenting. Because as you've learned from today's episode, when you are topped up, when you are looking after yourselves, you're more likely to show up like the parent you want to be with your kids. Imperfectly so, but in a much more rewarding, fulfilling, joyful way. So thank you for listening to this episode with Catherine Hallisey. And as always, please do take care of yourself until I speak to you next time. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm so that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm this episode of the pause purpose play podcast was presented by me Michaela Thomas and you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk 
And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.